0: Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to Episode 127 for August 17th, 2011. Today's episode is a very special conversation with a world leader and a hero of mine in the realm of patient safety improvement. He is Dr. Richard P. Shannon. He's a cardiologist and is chair of the Department of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania School of Medicine and the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania, as well as the Senior Vice Chair for Clinical Affairs in the Department of Medicine. Now, Dr. Shannon was uh, an early pioneer in the use of lean and Toyota methods to improve outcomes and patient safety namely the reduction of hospital-acquired central line bloodstream infections and ventilator-associated pneumonia when he was at Allegheny General Hospital near Pittsburgh, as was documented in Nate Grunden's outstanding book called The Pittsburgh Way to Efficient Healthcare, Improving Patient Care Using Toyota-Based Methods. Now, with the Pittsburgh Connections, Dr. Shannon originally learned about lean and Toyota methods from PRHI, the Pittsburgh Regional Health Initiative, And from Paul O'Neill, who was my guest back in episode 124. So if you want to find that episode, you can go to leanblog.org slash 124. The blog post and page for this episode is leanblog.org slash 127. And if you want to make sure you catch every episode, you can subscribe uh, real easily in the Apple iTunes store. Or for more options, go to www.leanpodcast.org. I'm also happy to say that this podcast episode is produced in conjunction with the Healthcare Value Network. To learn more, you can go to www.healthcarevalueleaders.org, or you can visit the website of the Theta Care Center for Healthcare Value at www.createhealthcarevalue.com. Dr. Shannon, thanks for taking time to talk on the podcast today. It's great to be with you, Mark. Uh, If you can start, maybe just introduce um, yourself and your role and and your background for the listeners, please.
1: Uh, Sure. I'm uh, the chairman of the Department of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania here in Philadelphia, and I, for about the last decade, have been engaged in a redefinition of my career, uh, one where I've taken a much more... uh, compelling interest in process improvement, particularly toward the elimination of harm to patients in our hospitals. And so uh, I think our acquaintance is occasioned by uh, the idea of using tools such as lean methodologies in hospitals, subject about which you've written and about which I've read from you, Uh, as a way to get better and better at everything we do in the delivery of care to patients.
0: Yeah, and a lot of that, the initial redefinition, if you will, um, started back in in Pittsburgh. And I was wondering if you could talk about some of the origins of how you first um, got exposed to some of these ideas. Um, Listeners uh, may have heard I did an interview with Paul O'Neill a couple of weeks back. I wonder if you can share um, some of your history in, in that regard.
1: Sure, well, in fact, my kind of redefining my career occurred as a result of a chance meeting with Paul O'Neill at a time when he was still the CEO at Alcoa, and at that particular time, the chairman of the Allegheny Conference, which was a group of the large businesses in Pittsburgh. And in his role as the chair, he called together all of the hospital leadership from across the southwestern Pennsylvania area to ask them to be held accountable for cardiovascular outcomes in the area of cardiac surgeries. At that time, Pennsylvania was, with New York, among the earliest to publicly report outcomes in cardiac surgeries, and Mr. O'Neill noticed wide variations in outcomes and wide variations in payments attributable to that and basically challenged leaders to say that businesses were struggling under the weight of double-digit increases in healthcare costs and yet weren't seeing value attributable to it. And uh, as responsible people within the Pittsburgh community, we had to come together to figure that out. So it was indeed a, a chance occurrence. And at that meeting, I was actually asked to defend the honor of my institution at that time because our results weren't that good. And as I began to give the traditional litany of excuses why we didn't quite hit the mark, you know, Paul said that was all very nice, uh, but the job of leaders is to take away excuses by redefining the way in which work was done toward the elimination of waste and harm, and the day later, Paul Neil, and I had lunch, and it's created a decade-long friendship and a great decade-long mentorship of, I think, someone who in industry really applied the ideas of lean to the extraordinary improvement of uh, Alcoa. Mm
0: -hmm. Now, can you share a little bit um, of some of the the method and an approach of looking at reducing hospital-acquired infections, um, the use of methods or ideas in- inspired by Toyota, um, standardized work, um, looking at different quality methods. Can, can you uh, talk through some of that process and, and share some of the results that, that you had, at least initially there in Pittsburgh?
1: Sure. I think that the uh, the, the concept was to first be transparent about the problem and to decode the existing data from what was uh, shrouded in in complex epidemiologic metrics, such as infections per thousand and mine days, and rather tell the individual stories of patients and their unfortunate outcomes that were occasioned by getting these infections. So decoding the data in order to make it meaningful to people that did the work. So, on the one hand, you know, 7.6 infections per thousand line days may mean something to an epidemiologist, but it means nothing to a nurse or a physician uh, or a nurse's assistant who is working at the point of care with patients that have these things. Yet, if you say there are 56 people that had 62 infections, 20% of which died, that creates a very different definition of the problem. So the first step that I learned from industry, and one of the hardest steps still, is the strict definition of the problem based upon intense observations of the current condition. The next thing we did was we decided to break down the process of a central line into placing, maintaining, and manipulating the catheter. Uh, and then the idea was to have people that did the work define the standard processes around those things, test them, create countermeasures based upon the testing and the outcomes, and come to a conclusion about what the best way we knew we could come up with for placing, maintaining, and manipulating the catheter. So on the one hand, we had the advantage of some of the work that Peter Pronovost had done with checklists, all of which pertained to placing the catheter. But we discovered that the majority of central line infections actually occurred long after the catheter was placed, and so one not only needed standard work around placing catheters, but around maintaining catheters and how also those catheters could be manipulated. So workers made observations of how catheters were maintained and manipulated, and defined standard work uh, as to how to eliminate the variation. And the consequence was new practices and new procedures that dramatically reduced the central line infection rates among our patients. Uh, And in Pittsburgh, that occurred over a three-year period where, uh, you know, we went uh, from uh, 49 infections down to four uh, in those uh, early days. And then doing similar work here at the University of Pennsylvania over a similar sort of thousand-day journey, roughly three years, we've gone from 361 infections down to 11. So in the last fiscal year, three years after we've begun this standardized approach to placing, maintaining, and manipulating catheters, we've reduced the number of central line infections by uh, close to 97%.
0: That's that's, that's great, and to, to see that it's repeatable um, you know, across other organizations, um is, is is great to see one one before we move forward on that. I, I just want to go back, maybe one thing you you said and emphasized, you know, the idea of the people who did the work, doing the observation and, and the creating of the standardized work, which is what you going back even to Taiichi Ono and, and Toyota. Uh, what was taught, but um, there, there's a misperception, it seems sometimes, about standardized work or checklists that, you know, that this is something just being dictated to people. Um, is there anything you could kind of comment on that or, you know, the misperceptions or discussions that you've had with others in the industry about these ideas?
1: I think the key to the application of the principles of Toyota to healthcare is first the idea of bringing discipline and structure to problem solving, using the four Ys, using techniques such as 5S, and and those are disciplined ways to think about problems. The second challenge is to take those tools and put them in the hands of people that actually do the work. And I think importantly, and one of the real uh, aha moments we've had, is that really requires pulling people off the line and training them in these ideas and then mentored Kaizen-like events around rapid cycle improvement as they redefine the work. So you need both skilled mentorship along the line, but you also need to train people in observations, in the creation of countermeasures, in deep disciplined problem solving around Kaizen events, in order to really engage the workforce. And I think some of the, some of the mistakes that are often made is that, you know, you could have a one-day seminar on lean thinking and people sit in a room and somehow, you know, as, as if manna from heaven received this, uh, this inspiration. I think you really need to do this training on the line, at the point of care, in a very uh, structured way so that workers can see the power of these tools. Um, And I think that's perhaps the biggest innovation that we've been able to achieve here at Penn is that we do a lot of structured, uh, disciplined problem-solving exercises or Kaizans on the units at the point of care around problems identified by workers and then mentor workers in solving those problems using the tools that uh, Lean provides.
0: And and because you know, like you said, this isn't a quick fix. The it seems it creates a challenge of, of where's the time. Everyone says, well, we we don't. That sounds great, but we don't have time. Or are there some things that you've done? Is it just a leadership commitment to say we need to make the time available?
1: Well, I think you do need that leadership commitment. And let me say the way we've um, we've done this. So as we embarked on our effort here at Penn, uh, we trained 220 nurses on our oncology units in the skills of observation, problem identification, by that I mean background, current condition, target condition, countermeasures, you know, anticipated outcomes and then measured outcomes, and then a gap analysis around those things. Really structured problem-solving approaches. 220 nurses, and to do that, we actually had to take them away from their daily patient care routine to work with a mentor uh, to develop these skills. Now, to to, to accomplish that, we actually brought in one extra nurse each day shift and each night shift for a period of about six weeks in order that we could pull people off the line and engage them in this problem-solving capability. Once you teach people the power of these things, and allow them the freedom to identify and solve problems in a structured way. You never go back. You never ever lose that capability. So the, the the initial upfront investment is really modest compared to the long-standing and sustainable power of developing those disciplined problem-solving capabilities. Now, Mark, if I may, by analogy, the, the, or the analogy that we build to support this is. Nurses and doctors and social workers and case managers spend their day rounding on sick patients, and rounding on sick patients involves collecting history, doing a physical examination, uh, creating therapeutic interventions. Each of those clinical tools has a systems counterpart, What's the background to the problem? What's the current condition based upon observations of the problem? So just as doctors, nurses, house staff, and others round on sick patients, we as leaders have to round on sick systems within our hospitals and apply the same kind of clinical reasoning. It's remarkable to me, the analogy, uh, clinical reasoning that we do to sick patients to our sick systems. And we've used that analogy to take nurse managers, and our uh, unit-based clinical leadership teams, which are the structure we use here at Penn to apply these ideas, to have them focus on systems illnesses using lean kinds of methodology. And the the final point about that is uh, actually beginning next week, we're taking 12 of our medical residents through a three-day intensive deep dive into lean methodologies, and then for 32 weeks, are going to use these residents engaged on our medical units to create what we're calling the, pers- the perfect patient discharge. That is to say, using lean tools, how do we? what does the patient want and need to make a successful transition from the hospital back to a level of health that is greater than that which they came in?
0: And that sounds reminiscent of uh, some of the work from PRHI and the goal of uh, perfect patient care. Um,
1: Exactly. So I'd like to avoid what I consider to be the rhetoric or pejorative around readmissions, right, which is the sort of bellwether cause these days, and say that for any given patient, the goal is to get what they want and need to transition back to health at the time of discharge, and that if we do that the consequence will be no one needs to be readmitted. Um, But rather than focus on readmissions, which many organizations are doing, perfecting the process of transition of patients out of the hospital using lean tools is really the work that we're going to have these residents and our unit-based clinical leadership teams engaged in, all speaking the common language of lean methodologies.
0: Okay. And Dr. Shannon, maybe one last question here. Um, you know, you talk about six systems. I mean, we have them everywhere, whether it's, you know, Pittsburgh or, or Dallas or Boston or England. Um, maybe, you know, can you share some thoughts on the spread and diffusion of, of the ideas that, that you've been sharing, things that Dr. Pranavos and uh, Dr. Gowande have been sharing? What, what are your thoughts on, you know, kind of the, the acceptance and adoption um, by leaders in other organizations?
1: So I would say that these ideas continue to gain momentum, so there has clearly been progress, greater acceptance of of the idea of dealing with our sick delivery system and to perhaps use tools borrowed from high-performing industries to, uh, to address those illnesses. But I think, Mark, it continues to be too slow. And where I think you see really great progress is in organizations such as Virginia Mason, where the CEO, Gary Kaplan, believes deeply in these ideas, or the Theta Care system, where a CEO physician such as John Toussaint takes these ideas throughout an organization. I think folks like Peter and Atul, Peter Pronovos, Atul Gawande, and myself, are kind of in the field, working within those organizations, and trying to demonstrate to other elements of our organization the powers of these ideas. But until the leaders of healthcare organizations themselves adapt these strategies, I think we won't get the kind of transformational change that the system needs. Now, I'm encouraged by um, some of the efforts emanating from CMS. I think Don Berwick uh, is beginning to really articulate the idea of the elimination of waste through process redesign as the way to solve the CMS dilemma, as opposed to just across-the-board cuts. Whether in the the timing, uh, given the crisis in in in. Uh, debt restructuring in the nation, he'll have time to do that. I don't know. But I think we're beginning to see these ideas uh, permeate into healthcare in a deeper way, but it's not fast enough. The system really needs to begin to be transformed very quickly. And until leaders of healthcare organizations, academic medical centers adopt these strategies and implement them throughout their organizations, we'll have great islands of excellence, but we won't have cured the system.
0: Well, Dr. Shannon, I want to you know, really thank you for taking time to you know, continue sharing your story and um, hoping to inspire, you know, helping to inspire others to um, continue improving their own systems and um, improving patient care in their own organization. So, I want to wish you, you know, continued um, you know, best wishes for um, your work there at um, University of Pennsylvania, and hopefully, we can talk again soon.
1: Great, thanks, Mark. Always uh, nice to be with you.